And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Monday as we get back into a full week of trading, of course. Uh, brand new week means all kinds of new stuff coming your way. Uh, this week, of course, the big meeting is uh, Tuesday, Wednesday with the Federal Reserve. Are they going to hike rates? That is the big question here, right? So, you know, expectations are the Fed's going to hike rates very sharply this year, up four times, and they're going to be shrinking their balance sheet. And that's because we've got strong economic growth, strong inflation, strong empl employment. That's the question. Market's not buying off on that, of course. Uh, last week, a very tough slide for stocks, of course, as the S&P and the NASDAQ both broke below their 200-day moving averages. Now, the question becomes, of course, is is the selling over yet? That's the, real, that's the real question. I mean, how much more is there to go at this point? Well, you know, really kind of looks at how you look at things. Uh, in the short term, markets are extremely oversold. In fact, we haven't been this oversold um, in quite some time. And, and we've got to go back, you know, kind of far in the markets to find another period where we've been this kind of oversold outside of the March 2020 crash. Now, in March of 2020, the difference there was it wasn't just the Fed hiking rates. I mean, we actually shut down the economy. So, you know, we are having kind of that similar type of feel with the markets right now. And that certainly got a lot of people under pressure. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are certainly concerned, you know, are the markets getting ready to crash here? Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons to suspect that markets could certainly go lower. We've got extended valuations. Markets are very overbought. We've had a 120% run from the lows. And of course, a correction here of magnitude certainly wouldn't be a surprise. But again, you know, a lot of concerns here about this inflationary push. Well, inflation's already starting to peak here. And it's going to be interesting to watch how the Fed couches this on Wednesday because they've got to thread a very fine needle here between a market that is beginning to decline. And remember, financial stability is a key component for the Federal Reserve. They want to make they are they seriously focus on the markets to ensure that there's stability in the markets. The one thing that they can't have is a March 2020 type correction because that leads to financial instability. That begins to impact credit markets, economic growth. It has all kinds of ramifications and it's very deflationary in nature. And that's exactly the opposite of what they want to try to get out of this. So, you know, there's a real possibility that two things are going to happen is that first, there's already signs that inflation is peaking. You've already got the, the markets under more severe pressure here. And this suggests that the Fed may not be able to hike rates as much as they expect they, or at least the market thinks they want to hike. Uh, that's our article that's out on our website today. It's kind of a two-part piece. We started it today talking about how the Fed won't be able to hike as much as they expect. We'll follow that up on Friday after the Fed meeting and analyze what they say versus what markets are suggesting uh, and at least how markets are reacting to that. So. Uh, again, back to portfolios and to markets. Look, markets are extremely oversold here on the short term. Don't know what the catalyst will be. Futures are pointing lower this morning. We're going to have some additional selling pressure right out of the gate this morning. Um, but can markets turn this around and at least get a short term kind of counter trend rally to the market? 
the NASDAQ, the S&P both are more than three standard deviations below their means. And, and again, I know that's a lot of technical stuff, but all that says is that we basically have stretched the rubber band very far at this point. And again, when you stretch a rubber band very far, it's got to stretch, you know, it's got to relax a bit before you can stretch it again. So we should see a bit of a counter trend rally and that will give you a little bit better opportunity to sell into at this point. And then, you know, we might have a bit more correction to go depending on what the Fed does. And then, now again, if the Fed comes out and says, well, changed their mind, we're not going to hike rates at all, uh, this market will go screaming back higher again. So uh, again, I don't expect that to be the case. I'm just saying is that you've got to, to understand that there's going to be some things driving the markets this week in particular. One of the other sides of this, of course, is that a lot of people are piling into the commodity inflation trade. Now, I get it, right? Inflation 7%, and you know that's certainly a reason to go buy commodity-based materials. However, if we take a, you know, a long-term look in the markets as, as well and, and pay attention to kind of what's you know, kind of going on in terms of commodity prices, Commodity prices have had a very strong rally already going into this environment. People piled into that trade already as we began to see this inflationary push, you know, in oil prices as well as commodity prices in general. And that trade is now getting a bit long in the tooth here as opposed to the market, which is now oversold. Commodities are now overbought on multiple levels as well. If inflation is peaking, and there's all indications that it is, then you're going to see a reversion out of this commodity trade. Um, now, there's a couple of things to, to remember about the inflationary trade. The inflation trade that we got was artificial in nature. We had a tremendous amount of, of liquidity injected into the financial system after March, the March 2020 shutdown. That impulse of liquidity created artificial demand for products, goods, and services that couldn't be provided because we had shut the economy down. So that inflationary surge was not surprising. Well, now with that liquidity now gone and that, that demand impulse reversing in the economy, now we've got production back online, production and services are coming back up. Now we're gonna have a supply demand imbalance in the other direction. That's gonna to lead to more deflationary pressures this year and that's going to pull money out of this inflation trade. So if you've been buying this inflation trade, expecting inflation to be a persistent issue, you may want to start thinking about the other side of this coin, because if we began to see more of this deflationary pressure, which I suspect we will starting in the next couple of months, then this inflationary trade is going to reverse as well. So, um, you know, if you kind of go back and look at a long-term chart on, you know, um, you know, commodities in general, they track very closely to oil prices. And, and of course, this is what you would kind of expect is that, you know, when you look at, at long-term crude, as you begin to see these periods, and, and there's regular periods where we see very sharp declines in oil prices. And this has a lot to do with what happens with economic growth and particularly rates of inflation. So, you know, again, just be careful where you're piling money into. This has been one of the, the kind of the key issues here for a while. And, you know, when we start taking a look at bonds and, and other areas of the markets as well, they're also starting to tell you that deflation is a bit bigger issue. Bond prices have, have, have rallied here in the last couple of days, but yields as a function 
again, got very overbought here. And again, this, this goes back to the same idea that we were just talking about with the stock market. Things are, you know, things are all kind of counterbalancing against each other. Stocks are very oversold. Yields are very overbought. Now beginning to correct, that's also a suggestion as we see the yield curve flatten. Um, that's also suggestive of a more deflationary spat coming in the economy down the road. So again, be careful where you're, where you're positioning right so be careful jumping out of stocks to go buy commodities at this point of the game because you may just wind up being you know jumping out of the, the frying pan into the fire as they say uh, so just be careful here again stocks themselves and we'll talk more about this in a moment um, but stocks are getting very 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 oversold here so again try not to to make panic driven decisions markets are going to open down this morning that's going to kind of lead to that uh, panic driven decision even more right you know when's the selling ever going to stop it will stop, it will reverse. It's just going to be a function of, of when do we get there. Um, and so this is why we'll talk more about, you know, portfolio protection, kind of next moves, those things to be looking for. We come back after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, so, yeah, just as, you know, kind of, you know, starting to, you know, kind of work through this. And, and again, you know, we've got a correction going on in the markets. And, you know, it's always interesting. We, you know, we've, we've talked about this before is that, you know, we had a fantastic year last year. You know, markets were up 29% in total. Um, total return basis, 28, 29%. And so markets are down a little bit this year and people are panicking. Um, and look, there's no doubt the market's correcting here. But I tell you what, if you read headlines, there is a massive amount of bearish headlines, you know, in kind of mainstream media. And that's, and remember, the mainstream media is always generally bullishly biased. So when they get very bearish, it tends to be uh, a good count of a, a counter trend signal for the markets. And, you know, this is just kind of how the markets ebb and flow over time. And there's certainly some damage being done. Um, you know, we take a look at stocks like, you know, Netflix and others, you know, down 20% on, you know, one day. It doesn't give you a lot of opportunity to really do much with it at that point. Um, but, you know, back in March of 2020, we were talking about how markets were getting two, three, four, five standard deviations below their moving averages. And, you know, this is kind of extreme oversold condition. And, you know, that turned out to be a very good buying opportunity. But, you know, you had to go down a good bit before you got there, unfortunately. So 
you know, I don't want to dismiss the fact that we're in a correction because we are, and that correction can certainly get worse before it gets better. Um, but there is some differences between, you know, before we jump to this is the March 2020 type scenario, you know, let's, there are a few differences. First of all, you know, we're not shutting down the economy. That's one thing. Um, so we're going through a bit more of a natural correction at this point, which should suggest that you get some counter trend balances here to, you know, sell into and kind of rebalance the risk in your portfolio. But it's interesting, you know, there's, you know, there's not a lot that seems to be positive about the markets right now. You know, you've got the Fed hiking rates. The question is, is this the Fed going to come out on, you know, at their next meeting and go, hey, we're going to hike, you know, we're going to continue being aggressive about rate hikes, you know, and this is part of the angst of the markets is, you know, we've had a lot of Fed speakers in November and December talking about being a lot more aggressive about the markets. You know, we need to be more aggressive about rate hikes. We need to hike substantially. We need to run off our balance sheet by, you know, June, July. Um, those started kind of getting moved up. We need to you know, run the balance sheet off sooner. And that removal of liquidity is what's you know, obviously weighing on financial assets. Rates ran up here in the short term, but those rates have now been falling over. Ten-year Treasury yields been dropping for the last couple of days. Uh, which, you know, theoretically should provide some, some lift to asset markets. The other side of that, too, is that the yield curve is flattening. And that's, as I said, you know, this all suggests that the Federal Reserve is really too far behind the curve to be hiking rates here. Now, it may be a one and done type thing for the Fed. The hike rate was once or twice, and it'll be like, that's all we can do. And that certainly wouldn't be surprising here because the market's screaming that there's already a problem with the inflation trade. And if we take a look at a lot of indicators from the yield curve, as well as, as um, ISM manufacturing and other things, it's all telling us that inflation has peaked. And we're going to see more disinflationary pressures in the markets here over the next you know few months, more so than inflationary pressures. Now, uh, again, that has some implications, as I was saying, for the commodity chase that we've seen a lot of people piling into as of late. And again, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, and, and the point here is, is that, you know, there's a real risk that in the short term we could see more pressure on the markets. No doubt about that. And there's, you know, a real risk that we could see more damage done in a lot of areas. However, as I was saying. You know, this is going to be one of those points where, you know, if you sell here and kind of let emotion kind of overtake, you know, kind of your more logical approach to investing, you could be wind up kind of regretting that. And we see this happen often. The markets have a really good capacity of sucking investors in at tops and chasing them out of the markets at bottoms. And we see this happen more often throughout history than not. And, and again, I'm not telling you not to sell, that you shouldn't be more cautious and you shouldn't be more risk averse. I am saying that you should be right now. There's, there's a lot of reasons to be more risk averse at the moment. All I'm saying is, is that be careful um, 
do you know kind of going too far in one direction because again these markets have a very nasty habit of reversing themselves fairly quickly and gets us on the wrong side of the trade and so it's important to kind of have this kind of logical approach to looking at risk and, and measuring risk accordingly and and every measure that we have is telling us the markets are extremely oversold here from sentiment to uh, you know other indicators in fact in our newsletter every weekend we publish you know positioning gauges those type of things and you know they're all um, getting to more extreme oversold levels and and areas that have normally equated to at least a short-term bottom in the markets now it doesn't mean uh, now let me be clear I don't I'm not suggesting that the markets are about to bottom and go screaming off to new highs Again, it's just we're kind of getting to that point. We've stretched that kind of that market sell-off rubber band so far in one direction that it's got to it's got to pull back some before it can go lower. And again, that may just be one or two days. You may get a one two-day rally, and that's about it. It won't be a lot. Um, but again, just I just want to caution you about panicking over the recent decline. Look, it's been damaging, no doubt. Markets are down, you know, 10, 11% from their peaks already. And it's just, we're not even through January. <laughs> so, um, but that's also another important thing is that we've got a long rest of the year ahead of us. This is just January. And markets aren't going to decline for an entire year. Not in one direction. Right. So so again, you know, kind of this is always kind of the point. And, you know, we talked about this, you know, last year is that and we were in December talking about, you know, taking profits and reducing risk and those type of things back then. And, you know, we said, look, you know, you can be long the markets, the markets can rally and then have a correction. And you're right back to where you were. Uh, and so you sell here and yeah, you miss out on some of the gains. And then, you know, you're back to where you were when you sold. And that's exactly what's happened here is that you could have sold in December, markets rallied, and then have come right back to where you were in December. So, you know, in the last, basically, the sell-off has wiped out the entire set of gains from December. Actually, we're kind of getting back into November, October now. And, and so this is always the challenge with investing is, you know, navigating these short-term periods of volatility and coming out on the other side and, in kind of one piece, and and it's important to to not deviate too far on an emotional side of your transaction, and make sure and have you know stops in place and and those those type of things. So, you know, it's just again as you just kind of look at where you know things are, you know, just try to remember that where we are currently is only a short term environment. And don't allow these kind of short-term environments to exacerbate themselves into long-term positioning calls that may be detrimental for your longer-term returns. And that's, you know, really we got to, you know, kind of always remember that is that volatility is always an issue. And volatility tends us to get us on the wrong side of the trade when we're least expecting it. So anyway, having said that, now there are some reasons to think that we're going to get a rally. And, 
you know, there's been some some specific drivers of the markets over the course of the the last few years that have been beneficial to markets and have supported asset prices. We've talked about a lot of these in the past, and those dynamics haven't changed either. So, you know, this is, you know, where we start looking for these opportunities. And, and, you know, when we come back from the break here in a minute, we'll kind of go through a few of those. But, again, kind of the, the key factors, again, is that the markets have already had a pretty significant correction. So that provides you the base that it doesn't take a lot of positive news in order to create a rally. And sometimes we just kind of kind of suck it up and you kind of just got to work through the pain short term in order to get out to the other side. And and and, and it's not any fun. <laughs> you know, it's it's never fun to see your portfolio go down in value, but remember that, you know, while we look at one-month returns, one-day returns in our portfolios, those type of things, try to keep it in perspective of, you know, where you've come from. We had a phenomenal year last year. So even if this year ends down 10%, right? Even if this year ended down 10% for the entire year, you still would have booked three years' worth of your average annualized returns, right? Because you had such a big return last year. If you're looking for 6% a year to grow your money and you lose 10% this year, you still put 28% on the books last year. So again, just, you know, I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying just throw away 10% of your gains. I'm just saying, try to keep these things in perspective that, not every year is going to be a positive year. Not every year is going to generate 28%. And, and you're going to have some periods where you're going to have some rough spots in it. So try not to let that deter you from your longer-term goals. Now, I said when we come back, we'll talk about some of the positive catalysts that could be sitting there to help support markets, at least in the near term. Talk about that. We'll come back from the break. I'm Real Sense Roberts. Our new report is out on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment show so uh this weekend of course uh very busy for the family lots of stuff going on i just saw a headline here woman faces charges now over trying to buy an infant at walmart where's that woman that where i can sell my kids to this woman right i mean you know i'm sitting there going 
you want really literally if you, <laughs> you i've got three teens to sell you so <laughs> cheap <laughs> and i'll deliver for free <laughs> so uh, anyway stuff that happens right um anyway so good good you know signs that you know we could be getting closer to the end of this kind of sell off period than not and and again as i was talking about before is you know, we just want to be careful not to overreact to situations. Sometimes the market gets bumpy. You know, things, you know, they go down in price, surprise. Um, it's an important, you know, measure, though, not to get, not to extrapolate things into kind of end-of-the-world scenarios. Now, we could get there, right? Just don't expect that's the case Right now, I mean, look, and, and we've talked about before, there's certainly plenty of signs that, you know, there's markets uh, are extended, you know, overvalued, those type of things. So, you know, don't get me wrong about that. I mean, there's certainly risk of a, a much deeper correction. The question is, is it starting right now? Right. That, that's that's the question. You know, right now we still have a lot of stock buybacks that are coming in and we had, you know, kind of a, a blackout for stock buybacks that is now ending and stock buybacks are about to start picking back up through March 24th before we get to our next blackout period at a run rate of about 5.5 billion a day. Now, the only thing that's impeding that ability is higher interest rates in the short term that could limit corporations to go to the bond market, issue cheap debt to buy back stock. But I'm not sure that rates have risen enough to be a deterrent just yet. I'm just saying that's one of the that's one of the risks that could slow it down. But again, there's a huge backlog of stock buybacks, roughly about 200 and some odd billion, that will get done this quarter. And that's about a one trillion dollar run rate, you know, for the entire year. As we get further out into the year, those will pick up in the second, third quarter. So. You know, you're, you're looking at another year of exceptionally strong buybacks when you've already got 1.2 trillion in buybacks authorized. So, again, as we talked about before, buybacks have been a consistent support for markets over the course of the last couple of years. And there's there's nothing right now with companies having to beat earnings estimates and those type of things. There's nothing that's potentially suggesting that buybacks are going to end anytime soon. The other side of this too, though, is is also a function that there's a lot of issues kind of surrounding this, you know, kind of flow of capital. And when we start looking at the different flows of capital, whether it's equity inflows, uh, just in general from global funds, et cetera, there's not much showing a, uh, that's showing a dramatic slowdown in those fund flows. There's still just a tremendous amount of liquidity sloshing around the economy and the markets. That really hasn't gone anywhere. Um, Friday, one of the reasons that we had such a strong sell-off on Friday is that you had a $3.3 trillion options expiration on Friday. Now, what does that mean? 
so on Friday, you had all your index options and individual stock options expiring all at once. And a lot of those for investors were people in January of last year that were buying leap options on individual stocks or indexes, betting that the market was going to go up. So they were buying call options, you know, looking to leverage their bets a bit, and they were buying leaps. And so those are options that expired in January, last Friday, from the previous year. And so you had $3.3 trillion worth of options expiration all occurring at one time. Now, you say, okay, well, put that into context. That's the second largest op options expiration ever on record. It was a lot. And so as those options all get rolled over and get, get pushed out and all that, that led to some additional selling pressure. Because again, when those options get rolled, and expire, they have to be rewritten, and the underlying stock has to either be bought or sold along with that. So again, that exacerbated the selling pressure on Friday. Now, this morning, futures are pointing down here because everybody they got cleaned out on Friday are going, man, I just got to get out of the markets. And man, over the weekend, it was just one bearish entourage after another in the financial media. And, and look, I'm bearish <laughs> more often than not. And, you know, but when you see that much bearish news in the markets, it tends to be a good contraindicator to overall sentiment. And when you start seeing, you know, just headline after headline, you start seeing, you know, article after article written about, you know, the, the crash is coming, it's, it's here, the bubble, blah, 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 you know. Those are generally good counter trend signs that at least in the short term, you're starting to get extremely bearish. Now, got to be careful. Doesn't mean that we're not actually entering a bear market. Okay. That we're just going to have to find out. And again, we're going to have to navigate as best we can over the course of the next, you know, few weeks, few months. That's just all we can do. We can just do our best and try to navigate the volatility that comes along. My point, though, is historically, the mainstream financial media has never called a bear market in advance. <laughs> so, you know, when you've got the mainstream media kind of running around with their hair on fire, talking about bear markets and crashes and these type of things, typically they tend to be on the wrong side of the, of the coin, at least short term. Um, again, they've just never they've never been a good end, you know kind of a preceding you know indicator of a bear market. Hey, maybe they're maybe they're right this time, right? Maybe they're in front of it this time around. Generally, they're not. So I just want you to kind of take that with a grain of salt. Is that you know there is there was a there has been and is a lot of current pressure on markets that can change very quickly. Again, on Wednesday. If the Fed comes out and says, hey, you know what? We're watching things. We're starting to see a peak of And I'm not saying this is what they're going to say. I'm just saying, what if they come out on Wednesday and instead of being as hawkish as everybody thinks, they come out and say, well, you know, hey, we're still on track for tapering our balance sheet slowly. Um, and but, you know, we're, you know, monitoring the situation with inflation and we're still considering hiking rates in our March, you know, in March or June, you know, wherever it is. And they start kind of, you know, dove, you know, kind of soft peddling 
this inflation issue. Well, that's, you know, the markets are going to start to read into that, that the Fed's not going to be as hawkish. And that could be one of those things you wake up on a like Thursday morning and the markets are up sharply and you're going, what happened? Right. And now you're on the wrong side of the trade again. And so that's the that's the real question. The, the kind of the best thing to do is at this point is just hold what you've got a bit here, kind of suffer through the next couple of days, wait and see what the Fed does, see how the market reacts to it, and then start making some some more informed decisions uh, about kind of what you do next with your portfolio. And again, be careful. Um, I'm, I'm getting a lot of calls from people wanting to jump on, you know, sell everything and jump on the commodity trade. That is, is probably going to be a bad decision, too. Because I was saying before, you're already starting to see a peak in inflationary pressures, which is what is the entire driver of the whole commodity trade. So just be careful you don't jump out of one frying pan right into the fire of another. So... You know, as, as we just kind of go through things and and look at the different, you know, kind of cycles of, of where we are within the markets, et cetera, you know, these are things to keep in mind. And, and look, let's go back to, you know, I, I'm, you know, one of the things that, you know, we kind of focus on is the Fed because, you know, what the Fed does is kind of the big focus of the market. It's all about liquidity, right? Don't fight the Fed. Let's go back to, December of 2018, which, sorry, uh, October of 2018, the last time that they were talking about hiking rates and when did they stop hiking rates. So in December, or actually in October of 2018, remember the Jerome Powell came out and said, we're nowhere near the neutral rate. We're hiking rates, but we're nowhere near the neutral rate. They're tapering their balance sheet at the same time. So the balance sheet's coming down. Interest rates are going up, and we're nowhere near the neutral rate, and the market declines. So the S&P was down 14.8% to the start of December 2018. Right now, we're down about 9%. So we're not quite in the ballpark yet, but the Fed hasn't done anything yet. They're still expanding their balance sheet, albeit at a slower pace, and they haven't raised rates. And you're already down 8% from the peak because when the market was down 14%, the Fed comes out and says, hey, we're done hiking rates. So there's already enough pressure on the Fed that they could surprise us on Wednesday. I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying there's enough pressure that they could. Come back from the break. Got a couple other things to get into. We'll get on to more uh, happy topics. We'll come back from break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know 
about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show. So, uh, interesting. Uh, so, my wife and I went, you know, on Sundays, we kind of did our grocery shopping for the week and all that. And guess we're that exciting of a couple. We spend time together going grocery shopping. <laughs> but so, but yeah, you know, we, we did our uh, one of our monthly trips to Costco, which is always interesting because you can't go Costco's like Target. You can't go into Costco and leave under $100. It just doesn't happen. Um, we go in to buy two things and next thing you know the entire cart's full of stuff and you know but it just it just happens that way. Just anyway. But it's kind of an interesting uh, you know situation. So we wound up at at Kroger and you know we're just kind of you know wrapping up getting our few things that we need, you know, just for the week. And, you know, there was a couple of things that we noticed were out on the shelves, right? So, um, you know, some of the rice products that we use were sold out. Um, flavored water was out. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know. There's a big run on flavored water. I'm, <laughs> But other than that, I mean, you know, you go down the meat section, the dairy section, all that's full, right? It's completely full and no big deal. But then I'm reading all these articles. Uh, There's an article out um, where D.C. is now asking people to limit their supermarket shopping and only buy what you need. Now, as soon as you put in a headline out that says that, what's everybody going to do? They're going to run to the store and buy everything they need, right? It's just... Especially toilet paper. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you're going to create the run. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, as soon as you tell people, hey, you know, we're running short on things. Don't go buy what you don't need. I'm going to go buy everything I can get, right? <laughs> But, but it's interesting. Why is it that certain cities are having much more severe food shortages? Look, I'm, first of all, I'm glad I live in Texas, right? <laughs> we seem to do better. Don't know why, but we do. Um, yeah, I'm just, but just curious why some cities are having you know, more severe food shortages than others. I, I, don't ha- I don't have an answer for it. It's a rhetorical question. But I have a, uh, a cousin-in-law. Who uh-huh. works for the McLean companies? Okay, and they provide supplies and distribution to Sefco, among other places. Okay. And he said it's up and down the chain. There's not one specific element that's really creating the problem. It's all of it. They can't get it from China. They can't get it into the ports. They can't get it onto the trucks, and they can't get the trucks into town to okay. do it. I get it. Okay. Yes, and that's what we would think. Yeah. But why is it only? It's why are some states worse than? Why is DC as an example? Yeah, I don't know. Suffering more than Texas. Because mm-hmm. again, you go to an HEB. It's not bad. Not bad. I was in a Central Texas HEB this weekend. Yeah. And it was stark. I mean, it was really kind of scary in there, and people were looking around. You could see the expressions <laughs> on their faces. Where did it go? It, but here in Houston, we don't have as bad a problem yeah. with that. I, I, yeah. So it may be a regional thing. Could I be know. a regional yeah. thing. Yeah, and again, I'm sure there's a logical answer for this. I just, you know, again, mm-hmm. I just, I don't have. It's a rhetorical question. So, yeah. Um, but I just, I just, you know, kind of one of those things I just find interesting because, again, is you know, here in at least in Houston, 
area, things are seem to be pretty normal. I mean, mm-hmm. we were driving around this weekend and, you know, every restaurant is full. Yeah. I mean, like full, full. Mm-hmm. Parking lots are jammed and, you know, there's waiting lines again. And, and it's, it's all good stuff. Yeah, right? Good. E- economically, yeah. this is all fantastic stuff. Um, and, and certainly not complaining about it at all, but it's just, you know, why is it in certain spots that you're having, you know, well, I can, you know, look, restaurants and things like that, I get it, New York and Illinois and some of these other places that are running, you know, really strict mandates, get it, right? Employees can't come to work, I get, I get the problem. Uh, you know, speaking of that, you know, we talked about last week, England is reversing all their mandates. Yes. No vax mandates, no passport mandates. Germany's now doing the same thing. My son yeah. called this this weekend. And he's very excited because they're reversing all their mandates yeah. now in Germany because so many people were ticked off. <laughs> and so, oh, and it didn't work. Yeah, and it, it, it doesn't it work anyway. But <laughs> There's that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is that, right? But he's very excited, though, because they're now reversing that. So, you know, again, I think we're going to start to see that, you know, eventually spread over here. And it'll be interesting to see how everybody starts walking back you know, all the stuff they've been saying over the last two years to get us like, oh, yeah, we, we told you that we needed to reverse these mandates and, you know, get back to life as normal. We do. We got to get back to normal, get people back to work uh, producing, because if you really want economic growth, as we've said before, uh, the economy is very simple. You have to produce first before you can consume. And we have a, uh, an economy that's 70 percent consumption. So got to get people back to work. It's just that's just the, the way that's the way the cookie crumbles, as they say. Um, anyway, you know, so one of the other kind of interesting things that are going on is, you know, what's happening with a lot of the retail meme stocks, uh, a lot of the retail trading. And and this was, you know, kind of one of the interesting aspects or, or, or byproducts of the 2020 lockdowns. Um, when we locked down the economy in 2020 and then gave people you know, billions of dollars worth of money. Uh, not surprisingly, you know, people that couldn't go to casinos, et cetera, to gamble, they turned to gambling online. And, you know, it was interesting. I'm sitting at home. I've got a Robinhood app and I've got a $1,400 check and I can't bet on football because football's shut down. So I'm going to trade stocks. And, you know, we saw this tremendous run up in meme stocks, et cetera. And, you know, it led to a really sharp increase you know, over time. And now that's starting to correct to a, a good degree. And, and we're seeing this particularly, and again, we've, we've picked on ARC in the past, but now, you know, yeah, you're, you're seeing this in a whole variety of those meme type issues. And it was interesting because, you know, you know, on social media, as an example, you would see just all these young teenagers and and you know early 20 somethings you know that are day trading securities and they're and they're making all this money and they're standing in front of their new lambo that they just bought and their new uh you know kind of entry-level rolex and and you know sporting all the proceeds of all their trading right and those have evaporated you literally just you know those don't come up anymore you used to see a lot of bitcoin trading uh, or cryptocurrency trading uh, videos, uh, how to trade crypto, you know, get into crypto now, follow me, I'm, I'm trading crypto. Those have all disappeared. And, you know, it, and it's interesting because um, cryptocurrency, which was supposed to be this inflationary protection trade, has not <laughs> done very well in the face of surging inflation. It's become very highly correlated to the stock market. 
because it's a speculative asset, and we've talked about this before. Um, you know, this is going to be one of those shakeout periods, and, and this is really going to define a lot of a lot of things. First of all, you know, we saw a tremendous amount of speculation in 2020, 2021 in terms of SPACs, IPO issuance, uh, fundamentally, you know, weak companies that were surging, you know, 100 percent, 200 percent, 300 percent. You know, those have all reversed course. A lot of that fervor has already come, you know, even with the markets only down, you know, 10, 11, 12 percent from the peaks, depending on which index you're looking at. You know, a lot of that speculative fervor has been washed out of the markets below the surface. And, and we and we wrote an article about this just recently talking about how, you know, the kind of the major stocks, you know, the Apple, the Facebooks, the Amazons, et cetera, were kind of really supporting the overall markets. And underneath the surface, you had a tremendous amount of devastation uh, that was going on. Um, you know, there's 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 this old story about the the, the Potemkin village where, um, you know, Russia put up fake, you know, uh, fronts of buildings to make the city look like it was fine, even though behind these these fake fronts, the, you know, there's complete devastation. This happens kind of the market, right? We had this kind of this facade that you know the markets were doing okay but it was really just the top 10 20 percent of of stocks in the index that were holding up the entire index the rest of the index was getting slaughtered behind the surface now the the good news about that is is that you've reversed a tremendous amount of that speculative fervor even though the markets have not corrected that much and that's a good thing Right. We've washed out a lot of that speculative trade out of the markets. And, and again, a lot of that, you know, retail type atmosphere that we had in 2020. Remember the whole Reddit crowd and the Wall Street bets and all that. And it was dominating headlines. You know, you haven't seen that in the media as of late. You know, there, there for a while on CNBC, almost every day you'd have, you know, what, what Wall Street bets were doing. And there were whole websites launched to just track what those retail traders were doing over Wall Street bets because everybody just assumed they had the tiger by the tail. And unfortunately, as, as is always the case, if you grab a tiger by the tail, eventually it bites you. <laughs> and that's what happened. And, and now this is, is spread into cryptocurrencies. It's spread into a lot of these other speculative assets. So the question is going to be ultimately is, is again, as we kind of get through this period, is going to be a good amount of opportunity to start looking for opportunities to buy things that have really come down in price a lot, really buy some good value companies that have the ability to appreciate over time. And, you know, a lot of those, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, disruptor companies have gotten disrupted pretty well. And but there's going to be some opportunities even in those areas because the economy is changing, right? How we work, how we operate, how we communicate. Those are going to be opportunities to buy assets a whole lot cheaper when we kind of get through this. But, you know, we've got some more work to do first. We're not there yet. But we've got some more work to do. But this is the time to start kind of build building that list and start looking for those opportunities that, you know, you know what? You know, I think there's a real value here uh, long term and I want to own them. So start making that list because you're going to get the chance to own them a whole lot cheaper in the not too distant future.
Well, that wraps up the show for the day, of course. We'll be back tomorrow. Get by the website. Our new article is out today, Why the Fed Won't Be Able to Hike as Much as They Think They Will. That's on the website now, along with all of our other articles. Our newsletter is out from this past weekend. It's all there for you, all at realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us your questions, comments, emails. Let us know what we can do to help you. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.